Welcome to the KBB Review Podcast from Taylor's Media. I'm your host, Andy Davis, and this is episode 25. I'm still up in my loft, and I've now installed a full set of Perspex screens around my makeshift desk, not to protect the members of my family from the coronavirus. I've actually decided to turn my loft into a post office. We all need to top up our income these days somehow. So, i better crack on with the podcast. The queue's really building up, so please pop your parcel on the scales and we'll get started. First in line with an armful of eBay deliveries is marketing expert David Barker from Inspire KBB. He's returning to the podcast to talk about the importance of good customer data in your marketing. Really good stuff. And behind David in the queue, and only looking for a book of first-class stamps, is Amir Reski. He's the guy in charge of Caesarstone for not only the UK, but also the rest of Europe, Middle East and Africa. He's got some really positive insights into where the UK market sits in terms of coming out of lockdown compared to other countries. That's really good stuff too. So please be patient. Wait your turn, madam. I'll check your passport for in a minute. I just need to do the shameless Taylor's Media plug. Now, I hope you've seen our Save Our Skills campaign where we're trying to stop highly experienced KBB people being forced to leave the industry through the inevitable redundancies brought on by the economic effects of the lockdown. We started by highlighting those people who have been made redundant in a weekly Save Our Skills email. Please have a look at that. If you have any vacancies, your perfect candidate might be there. And now we're stepping it up by also offering free job vacancy ads on kbbreview.com for any independent KBB retailers with three showrooms or less. They're the front line, they're the ones dealing directly with the consumer, and that's where we need the most expertise possible. But the size of the business means they might have the most limited resources. So, free job ads. Have a look at the episode description for this podcast and you'll find a link through to a Q&A that will tell you how to take advantage of this great offer. Totally genuine, it's all for free. Okay, let's look at marketing again. So important as we start to look beyond the lockdown. Joining me again now, we're welcoming back David Barker from Inspire KBB. Hello, David. Hi, Andrew. How are you? I'm all right, mate. I'm all right. It's a bit of a cloudy, windy day today, but that's not necessarily a bad thing. For those of you that haven't heard the original episode, David, can you just give us the quick 30-second update on what Inspire KBB actually is and what you do? We're essentially a marketing agency that works specifically with independent kitchen, bathroom and bedroom retailers in the UK. So for the most part, we manage their marketing with them. We're basically a one-stop shop for all things sales and marketing, so whether it be traditional or digital advertising, so Facebook, Instagram, Google, and the like, social media marketing, uh, website development and SEO, graphic design, reputation management, and so forth. So you understand kitchen and bathroom retailers right down to the most important details here. What I brought you on to talk about today, as, as you well know, is I want to talk about data. Because I think data is incredibly important for marketing, but if we go back to a survey of retailers we did, or KBB Review did, back at the end of 2019, we asked about data in that survey. And I've got the numbers in front of me here. 16% of retailers said that they used email as a marketing tool, only 16%. A quarter, just a quarter, said they maintained an extensive and comprehensive database of previous current and potential customers. So three quarters of them do not do that. And just under a third said they only took basic contact information when doing a quote, in other words, for installational operational reasons. So look, here's uh, a big uh, opportunity here. Let's look at it that way for retailers to really get a hold of what information they have about their customers and how they can use it to their advantage. And that's where you come in, David. Sure thing. So let's start with a very simple question here. What do we actually mean when we say data in terms of marketing? 
Well, I guess at a basic level, it's the known facts that you've got about a person or another business. We would look at it from the point of view of their, obviously their contact details and to take it to a, to the slightly the next level, looking at, you know, the record of activity that you've had with them or the contact points that you've had with that person or that business over time. Right. So this literally can be as detailed as a name, address and a phone number, or it could be a much more extensive thing. And we'll come on to that in a minute. But why is good data then so important? Well, we would look at it from two perspectives, really. First of all, you've got a sales perspective. And when we talk about that, you're talking about having that information that you can build into your pipeline and have visibility on where that particular person or businesses in your pipeline in terms of progressing stage by stage towards making a sale. You could also utilize that information for you know, your operational and installation activities as well. But from a marketing perspective, we would look at having data more so like building an audience, which then can be broken down into sub-audiences that you can then broadcast your messages to thereafter. Information that you gather on people can be very simple or very uh, in-depth. But what do you think the most essential info you should be collecting on people is? Well, at, at a basic level, I mean, if you've got the person's name and their email address, that's enough to be able to communicate with them. But ideally, you want a bit more than that. I mean, you'd be looking for full contact details would have name, email address, phone number, physical address, and then you'd be looking to sort of build further, um, you know, sort of elements or, or levels of data into that. So what were the dates and points of activity that you had with them, whether it be a showroom visit or an inquiry over the telephone, and then, you know, sort of how you've progressed it since. So you can see a timeline of when that person, person first appeared or you made contact with them, and then to take it. So the next level is you can start to plan out what your next activity is. So you can have past data points, but also what are we going to do with them next? When are we next going to reach out to them via email or post or telephone, etc.? And I guess there's, there's the personal element of data, which a lot of the time I think retailers, because they're very good at it, keep a lot of it in their heads oh they remember mrs smith she was the one who had three kids and a dog and you know love gardening or whatever it is but actually that kind of information stored is incredibly valuable and very useful isn't it whether they are married how many children they have when they last had their bathroom done if you sold them a kitchen uh, whether they have pets whether they like entertaining these are these are kind of very personal details but are worth recording definitely i mean the more you know about someone the better quality conversation you can have with them towards what they're potentially looking for. But in, in terms of storing data, I mean, I, I think I've seen it all with our family kitchen business. For the most part, it was, you know, names or family names uh, up on a whiteboard in terms of who was at which particular stage. And I think uh, most businesses have moved on a bit from that, some of them not too, no, too much further. But it's important to not only get the data, but also store it in a way that it's easy to access and it's useful to you. Yes, I saw one retailer, for example, it's very simple but very effective, they would send their kitchen a birthday card. So, you know, the kitchen had been installed five years ago or whatever it was, and they sent the kitchen a birthday card saying, you know, happy birthday to you, you were installed five years ago, would your owners also like a bathroom? And those kind of little details are what make people, they remind you of the service they had, even if it was several years ago. 
Well, I, I think that's very clever, and it also reminds the uh, owner of the kitchen how long it's been since they had that uh, installed. So keeping keeping the business top of mind for next time round, I guess. So the important question here is, there's a lot of interaction goes on between customers and the retailer, but it's a different thing, again, to start gathering that information that you can then turn into data. What's your best advice on gathering the data that we need here? Well, first of all, most retailers that we work with have got lists of people who have made inquiries over the years. They're either sitting and written in files, but you know, I would say for the most part, they're on spreadsheets. People have inquired, people that you've done designs for but got no further, clients um, and, and past clients and so forth. So that would be the starting point to bring all of that data together into one spreadsheet. Once that's been done, then you can pull that into a CRM system, and we would recommend a cloud-based CRM system where you've got one central point of reference for each particular client, person, or business. From there, you can then start to build in some data capture-type tools or vehicles on your website. So we're talking about brochures, we're talking about guides, could be your brochure, it could be supplier brochures, Um, You should have an inquiry form on your website. Um, You could have a design consultation booking form, which requires data being captured on your website as well. But you've also got inquiries coming through the phone, through the showroom, through email as standard. You could also, for business to business in terms of that contract business, uh, you can buy lists where um, you can purchase a minimum of 250 uh, records, well into the thousands quite easily architects, interior designers, uh, property developers, and so forth. And those would be the areas that I would, um, you know, sort of look to start with and develop when it comes to building up that database and building up that audience. Yeah, a lot of people, uh, these bigger retailers, I know, but, you know, they run competitions or you could win a bottle of bubbly or whatever it is. All you have to do is, you know, fill this form in. And it's those kind of data gathering exercises that could become very useful, particularly I think if you have an event, uh, if you have a cookery event, how can you make sure you gather all the data of everybody who turns up? Well, exactly. I mean, that's that would be fairly straightforward to achieve that. I mean, most people would be happy to give up their data if they turned up to a, you know, a, cooking, a cooking event. Uh, in the showroom. I don't think you'd get any resistance there. I think we've become accustomed to giving up basic contact details in order to get something small in exchange for that. Right. So, okay. So I'm a retailer. I've got myself a big database. I've got lots of information on my current customers, my past customers. What do I do with it? What kind of marketing are we looking at here that gives us the best use of that data? Well, I think in terms of marketing, the the thing that you're looking to achieve here is you're building up an audience, which can be tagged and uh, broken down into different segments so that you can send different messages uh, on different platforms to those those different groups. So in terms of, you know, what you can be doing with that data, I mean, first of all, you can be using it for email marketing. You can be using it for direct marketing. And, you know, one of the, the beauties of email marketing for the last few years has been a concept called lead scoring, where you can see uh, the amount of engagement that your list or the individual people on your list have been having with your emails and those people are then rated uh, using lead scoring and you can then choose to send out direct mail to the top 50 or the top 100, for example, who have been most engaged with your emails. So therefore, you can be more 
efficient with what you send out in the post, which is far more expensive to do. When you've got this data that's being, you know, that's been gathered and is growing, you can utilize it for custom audiences. So, for example, with digital marketing, particularly Facebook, Facebook will allow you to drop into uh, their dashboard or, or the, you know, the system behind a dashboard, uh, what's known as a custom audience of people's names and email addresses. And they will then work out using Facebook accounts all around the world which of those email addresses match an account. And you can then deliver advertising specifically to those people uh, who have a Facebook account that matches uh, from that list you've got. So that's a very uh, efficient and effective way to do it. Um, you know, and you can do that. You can build different types of audiences, whether they came from your website or came from an event and so forth. You've also got an opportunity to analyze the data further. So you can have a look and, and run a uh, heat map over it geographically to see of all the data that you've acquired over a period of time, where is the heat geographically, which will then help you decide where you're going to put your marketing effort and your marketing investment moving forward. So particularly with something like leaflets, that's really useful. Uh, the same with choosing which print publications to advertise in. Again, very useful when you can see the geography. I guess there's different forms of data acquisition as well. Like for example, with Google, you can set up uh, a tag on your website so that, and the same with Facebook and Pinterest, where so when somebody comes onto your website, they pick up that tag or that pixel, and you can then deliver advertising to those people that have been onto your website or even engaged with your social pages for months to come, which again is very efficient, it's, it's very effective. I mean, if you really wanted to take that a whole step further, you can then start to look at the people who have downloaded a brochure and instead of delivering advertising to them, which you know could be to download the brochure in the first place, when you recognize or the system recognizes that that's already been done, you can deliver advertising to them, which asks them to book a design consultation, making it that much more efficient and effective when it comes to your spend. The possibilities are endless here if you have that right information in front of you and if you're prepared to spend the time, because it's a very time-consuming thing this, to, to, to input a lot of this stuff, but it does have rewards out the other end. The other thing to, that I think isn't talked about enough when it comes to data is how valuable that database is. I mean, literally, it's an asset to your business, a physical, you know, an actual asset that if you sell your business or if you are moving on, that data base is as much an asset as the showroom or the, the, the products that are in it. Well, that is, yeah, there is a strong argument for that. I mean, over the years, I've come to learn that for most businesses and most industries, the value of their business can be defined by the relationship that they have with their list or their audience. So... If you look at if you look at data acquisition as growing an audience, then the bigger that audience is, and you know the, the relationship that you have with them and the quality can really define the value uh, for the business. Get it out of your head and into a database. That's the message that we're, we're putting across here. Now, the, the one other aspect I just wanted to touch on at the end here is that data is a very valuable thing, but it's also a very sensitive thing. And how you store that data and how you use it has an awful lot of legal considerations around it, doesn't it? Well, it does. I mean, we all know um, of GDPR when that kicked in a couple of years ago. I think uh, first and foremost, when you're storing data. Uh, you have to be responsible for that and, and, and do it in a responsible manner. And that includes um, keeping that secure from people outside of your business. 
but also having a degree of control over who has access to that data inside your business and where, where and when they need it. Yeah, and I think there's to not consider that in any decisions that you make is just asking for a fall later on. Well, that's right. I mean, you've got to think about worst case scenarios and what that would look like. But I mean, it, it's probably more of an issue when you've got consumer data, particularly if you've got payment information as well. That's the biggest issue. But, you know, there's plenty of systems these days, which are, I mean, most of the cloud-based CRM systems are relatively secure from what we can tell. It's, it's really strange things, isn't it? Like, for example, when we do our big awards do every year, we obviously gather an awful lot of names for, for, for everyone who's coming to that event. But one of the things that we have to ask people is what their dietary requirements are, for obvious reasons. Right. But at the end of every event, we have to delete all the dietary requirements we have because dietary requirements could be an indicator, for example, of your religion. Yeah. So even something like whether or not they do or don't eat meat, it actually can be quite a sensitive thing. So I guess the advice here is to A, be sensitive about it, store it correctly, and ask permission for any use that you might be doing with it. That would be the headlines on it for sure. I think we barely scratched the surface here, David, of what data is, but I think it does give a little bit of an indicator of, of what the possibilities with it are if you're prepared to delve into it a little bit more. Most important question, though, David, the question that I know you've been waiting for for the last 20 minutes, because you are a returning guest, you do get a track two in Deserted Kitchen Island Discs. So what are you going to choose? Well, last time you were uh, surprised I didn't go with something Antipodean, so I'm not going to let you down this time. Crowded House, Distant Sun. Oh, now you're talking. It's a good choice. I like it. I was hoping for a bit of land down under or beds are burning, but that's okay. Maybe next time. Maybe. All right, look, David, as always, thank you for your help, sir. Thank you for your time, and we'll catch up again soon. That's great. Thanks, Andrew. Okay, let's get the view, a big European view, from one of the major manufacturers in the kitchen market here. Down the line here, we've got Amir Reski, who's the Managing Director for Europe for Caesarstone. Hello. Hi, Andrew. How are you? I'm okay, thank you. Now, where exactly are you in the world? It is beautiful and sunny. It's very, very hot where I'm at. It's been boiling. I'm in the Middle East. Now, see that? Okay, that's properly hot. So whereabouts, though? Uh, I'm in Israel. Oh, nice. Yeah. Beautiful part of the world. Yeah. Okay, so look, for those who, uh, obviously, you're a very well-known brand, of course, but give us a bit of an idea of the, of Caesar Stone's operations in the UK. Okay. As, as you probably know, Caesarstone is a, a global designer and manufacturer of quartz uh, surfaces. It pioneered quartz over 30 years ago, uh, which are predominantly used in the homes for kitchens and bathrooms, but not only, but also in a, co- a variety of commercial applications, you know, hotels, restaurants, retail, all, all the way out to, to sports stadiums. Uh, in terms of the UK, the brand has been in the UK for about 12, 13 years, operating via distributors. At the back end of 2016, beginning of 2017, we set up our own direct business, and we've been going ever since. The UK business has grown dramatically. We employ about 50 people at the moment. Uh, we have two operations, one in Enfield, which is uh, our offices, a big warehouse and a, a showroom. We have another uh, warehouse and showroom in in Trafford Park in Manchester, and we're in the final stages of opening our third one later on this year. Well, okay, so it's a, a big operation and an ever-expanding operation, which shows an awful lot of confidence in the markets, but yep. along comes the coronavirus. Yep. So give us a bit of uh, uh, the current status of, of manufacturing, of deliveries, of stock. What, what, what's the current status of the company here in the UK? 
no, no one anticipated when we made our plans for 2020 uh, on the back of what we did in 2019, which is a phenomenal year for us. No one expected this to happen. Nevertheless, we addressed it head on. So what we did, we, we kept on working throughout with skeleton teams in our warehouse operation, predominantly working with a lot of inbound containers, uh, getting us ready for when the market returned. Both our manufacturing sites in Israel and in the U.S., have been have c- continued working throughout. Some have continued working twenty four seven, some work twenty four five, but they've been uh, uh, um, producing a lot of stock, which went all over the world. In terms of our sales team, you know, most of our customers, the independent studios, which form an important part of our relationship or one of the, uh, the important channels that we have, uh, we had to furlough our team. Uh, we kept a skeleton team that kept in touch with our customers. We, we use this opportunity to, to get ourselves ready for when the market returns. Right, and, and you are confident uh, enough that uh, the market will return in a significant way relatively quickly. I didn't say that. Uh, I, <laughs> think that I think the, the, the market will return. I don't know if it'll be significant quickly. I think there, there are signs of life. And now with the government letting us know that we can open all non-essential uh, uh, shops I think that brings another, I don't want to say breath of fresh air, but it brings another sense of life into this industry. Uh, and, and I think we will return. We will return because at the end of the day, we still need to live on. And there have been crises before, uh, uh, maybe not to the same extent of this because this is a global crisis. But I think at the end of the day, we'll ride it through and we're going to see the daylight. You're in charge of the company across Europe and the Middle East and Africa as well. Can you give us an idea of where you see the UK sitting in the uh, in the timeline of, of this virus? Because European countries, Italy, Germany, they're a few weeks ahead of us. Would you concur with that? Yeah. Uh, I think the UK is about two to three weeks behind other European countries. If we analyse what the amount of activity that we've had in, in Europe, uh, there are countries that remained open, for business, Sweden being one of them. Germany was also, although it was under lockdown, there was still activity happening. Netherlands, there was activity happening. Russia was working quite strong until only recently when they went under lockdown. So, I, you know, the, the UK, is, as, as you rightly said, is about two to three weeks behind. What's your view on the way that, that suppliers like you can support retailers through this kind of uh, situation? Look, it's completely unprecedented. No one's been through anything like this before. But clearly, the liquidity of the market is important for, for everybody in that supply chain. What role can you play, do you think, in that? Again, uh, there's no one-size-fits-all. There's no blanket approach. We didn't have a blanket approach before COVID-19, and we're not going to have a blanket approach after. Uh, um, you know, we operate in an ecosystem that is reliant on many players. And in time of economic hardship, I think we can all do well to remember that. We will continue working closely with all our channel partners, be it KBs, studios, fabricators. Uh, we've stayed in regular contact with them before. We'll stay in regular contact with them afterwards. We are aware of financial problems and financial hardship that people are going to have. But I think we will have individual uh, conversation consultations with uh, uh, our different channel partners, different people, and see how we can assist. Yes, it's a very difficult thing to apply a blanket policy to, isn't it? I yeah. guess it's the way somebody else put it to me was, you've got to differentiate between the people who can but won't pay yeah. and the people who simply can't pay. 
That's true, but you know, I'm not the one to judge anybody how they run their business. Our intention for the UK has always been a long-term sustainable relationship with our partners. So if someone thinks that, you know, they can take us for a ride today, well, you can fool us once, but you can't fool us twice. I mean, you've touched on it a little bit here, but what are your what is your gut feeling about what the market here is going to do, say, in the next six to 12 months? What's actually going to happen, do you think? Let's not be fooled. There is going to be a, an economic hardship for quite some time. Somebody's got to fork the bill. You know, the government scheme paid out furloughed employees. They gave loans. Somebody's got to pay that. Taxes are going to increase. We will have to pay that. But I think we're, we as a company and us as individuals, we're, we're very optimistic. It'll be an asset test now for what we've done during the course of the lockdown if we're going to see the benefits of it. And I think, you know, that's, that's for, for, for the, the economy as a whole. But if we now drill down into our particular industry, I want to remind you that we've all been locked at home for uh, many, many weeks. And suddenly, we've realized that the kitchen is the hub of the house. It's the hardest working room in the house. And I think more focus will be placed on it. Not only that, but a lot of people, you know, homeworking is something that will become more of the norm now. So I think more people will start investing into their homes. Are we going to see that in the near future? Maybe, maybe not. I don't know. But I think overall for the industry, we will see the benefits out of this. But maybe that's because we always see the silver lining in anything. Do you think there will be permanent changes to the market because of this, for good or bad? Not necessarily immediate changes, but there will, there, there will be changes. There, there will be new norms. As, as I said, working from home will become a new norm. I think uh, cash flow has always been a focus, so that's not going to change much. But in the longer terms, it's, it's going to be decided by however this thing plays out. You know, if there's a vaccine, then, you know, then we go back to our old habits if there's no vaccine if it's going to take too too long if, is it going to be a second spike i think it's, it's too early days to know that's probably true and that's where it, it's hard to see how any industry could come out of this without having learned some lessons about how to do it differently certainly that happened in 2008 when we had the big crash back then is that the new ways of working do emerge that in the long run actually improve things slightly I, th- I think that's human nature. Human nature is always trying to improve. And, and, and we do have also sometimes a very short memory and we, we're looking for the good times. And, and this is what I hope we're going to have in the short term. But I think consumer behavior will be affected, you know, and it's just not just not in our industry. I think it's, it's going to affect the high street, grocery shop, shoppings. But as I said, we're optimistic. We, we want to believe that the markets will return. We want to believe that people will continue renovating their homes. We want to believe that construction sites are going to continue. We, we believe that we're missing on a lot of um, developments, a lot of uh, uh, houses that still need to be built, and we believe that they will be built. And I think people, as, as I said, you know, because people are sitting at home now, people will spend more money on their home. They'll upgrade their homes. And, and I think we're going to see an, a, a surge, not a surge, but an increase in people spending on their homes, so maybe more expensive material will benefit from it. 
and materials that have a certain level of longevity to them as well. I think there'll be a permanent investment in the home, I think, will be one of the trends that comes through. Yeah. The, the idea of don't move improve has been a, around for a very long time, of course, but I think people will stay stay where they are and invest in where they are in quality stuff that will last a long time. I think that's one of the trends that always comes out of big upheavals like this. Uh, absolutely, and I think one of the, and you use that phrase, the quality, the quality of, of uh reputable brands, people that we can trust, people that we can support us the day after. I think those that have a plan for the future, those that are not fly-by-nights, those that have come here to grow their business, to be part of the ecosystem, they will remain and grow from strength to strength. Well, look, that is brilliantly positive, Amir, and I think uh, we're all waiting now to hear what the answer to the most important question is, of course, that, that we need to know. What's the big European view here of the deserted Kitchen Island discs? We uh, want to know what your most positive feel-good song is. Uh, um, it's, it's not a European view, it's just my own view. But I think we're, we're living in tough times, but there is, uh, there's good times ahead. And I think that the song that I picked is definitely uplifting for me. Take my hand, we'll make it, I swear. That's uh, Bon Jovi living on a prayer. Oh, now you're talking, man. That's a yeah. proper sing-along in the car one. Absolutely. That wins it. Yeah, we, we, we've been singing and dancing to this song for quite some time over, over the, 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 the lockdown around the, the kitchen island. Although there's a big key change at the end of that song that catches everybody out when they're singing along to it. <laughs> that's true, and it, I'm not going to try to repeat it now. No, I mean, it's a, that's a high song to get to anyway, yeah, but the, yeah. particularly at karaoke, there's a key change that just completely yeah. throws everybody. That's true. Yeah. Look, Amir, thank you so much for your insight. Thank you so much for your positivity. You. It's absolutely great for sparing us a little bit of time. Thank you very much and have Brilliant. a great day. Thank you, sir. Bye. Thanks. That's it. The post office is closed for the day. Thank you to David. Thank you to Amir. And I'm off to avoid the moans of the people still in the queue. Don't forget to check out our Save Our Skills campaign. And if you have any job ads to post, let us know all about them. And I'll see you next time.